yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues. Hello and welcome to the Throw and Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Allianz. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. How's it going, Will? Yeah, doing well, doing well. A very exciting weekend of Allianz League action on both fronts. You know, I know we were saying that it, there's not really many league finals. I know Offaly are going to be involved in one against Derry, but it made a lot for a lot of do or die games over the weekend, promotion, relegation on the line. Yeah, it was one of the most, like, I'm sure it'll be a really good championship weekends coming up, but like, it was so hard to keep track of different things that were going on. And it was so, every, so many games had such high stakes. It was a brilliant weekend, and even uh, fans being back at them as well. And just that bit of noise, it's amazing what 200 people can do, yeah. can do in a massive stadium. And just, yeah, the, was the appreciation of it all and uh, it, it does look like we're building up towards a you know, really, really exciting summer. Everything kind of has levelled off and hurling a bit. Uh, we're back much happier with the way the game is and football's probably never been in, in a, you know, a ruder health than it is now. So, yeah, brilliant summer ahead, hopefully. Oh, definitely. I think my highlight of the weekend was Banty McInerney's, you know, party-esque shirt he was wearing in Clonus <laughs> for the relegation playoff victory over Galway. And he had his, like, his old-school Nokia just in the top pocket as well. It was great. Yeah, I think his, his daughter actually tweeted some shirt, uh, some phone, some win or something like that. And people were comparing him to that, uh, that Matt LeBlanc picture that's going around from Friends where he had the arms folded. It kind of looked a bit similar and he had a similar type of shirt on as well. But there was, I was, like, there was just some amazing things happened over the weekend. Like Gavin White's goal, his lobbed goal. Um, it's like something, it's like, remember when David Seaman was lobbed when they played Real Zaragoza in the... Was it the Cup Winners' Cup final? That was, it was just some brilliant moments, some brilliant Happened at the World Cup as well, having a poor day with more than once. <laughs> that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. But um, yeah, it was just it was hard nearly to keep uh, keep track of all the action over the weekend and hopefully the summer will uh, bring us the same sort of excitement. Yeah, we'll try our best to keep track of it today. We're going to be joined in a little while by Brendan Cummins to discuss the the kind of the, the end of the hurling league. But first, we're delighted to have Sean McGoldrick and David Brady on the throw-in in association with Alliance to discuss all the football action. Uh, David, I might go to you first. So, you know, I know there's still a league final to be played. Awfully, Michael's probably delighted they're going to be playing against uh, Derry next weekend. But for the rest of the teams, David, thoughts are turning towards the championship. As we kind of reflect on the league campaign now, which teams for you will be the most pleased with what they've learned going into such a condensed season and the championship around the corner? Uh, well, I suppose if you take it from the top, you're going to have, without doubt, the top two, uh, the Curry and Dublin of this world. And uh, Curry will be very, very happy with their uh, their campaign. Uh, impressive 
And again, it was it was what I'd call uh, all round all round uh, a good league campaign, with uh, the key players playing massively well, but uh, unearthing some good young talent as well emerging. That's once you're in that kind of a momentum going into championship, and it's vital. And you'll always see it, the teams that actually finish well in the league, never, they mightn't start well. I know it's very condensed and short league to take an overview like that. But yeah, uh, again, if you look at the Armas of this world, Armas, very, very impressive. Uh, massively, massively strong. But I think their, their attack and prowess has come on leaps, leaps and bounds. And again, you go between the yin and the yang of what should have been for Monaghan yesterday, a defeat in a very poor league campaign. To come off the back of a massive victory in the last in the last couple of minutes against Galway, and they're going, you know what, guys, all is good now, and uh, that gives that gives them confidence going into the championship. And if you have that kind of confidence, championship is coming in less than a week for some and two weeks. Um, it's 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 good because you do need, without a doubt, you need a positive uh, a positive start or a positive end to your league campaign for a for a championship that's not just around the corner; it's right in front of them. Yeah, Sean, I know you were at the Kerry Tyrone game and it was you had to listen to Peter Keane try to downplay such a magnificent victory, saying, you know, if there were no goals, the game could have been a draw. Um, you know, how impressed have you been, you know, seeing them live in the flesh? Are they as lethal and devastating as they appear when we're watching the highlights, especially with a view to challenging Dublin and finally getting over the line against them? Uh, yeah, they're very impressive. I, I was actually at, at both their uh, demolition derbies. There were the first one against uh, Galway and then uh, Lassard. And it's funny because I could uh, I could do a collection of uh, Peter uh, Keane's sayings now and publish them because his he uh, he talked his way out of the first the Galway match by saying you know it could have got either way. And then Lassard, when we were waiting to, uh, to for him to come over for the interviews. I was joking as to what excuse he'd make today. So he, and that was sure enough, he came up with a good one that if there was no goals, uh, there wouldn't have been much in it. But that aside, um, well, basically, if you let Kerry play that way, if you give them time and space on the ball, they have the forwards punish you. Uh, and I mean, they, they are lethal. And any team that has a David Clifford who's basically on fire, um, you know, they will be there, thereabouts in terms of the All Ireland. I mean, I think realistically, it's a two-horse race now between themselves and uh, themselves and Dublin. But it's funny being down there and you know, listen to the, albeit study the local journalists because there's not too many spectators getting in. Um, they're still fearful of Cork. I think it's it's a it's a traditional thing, you know, that uh, you could never take Cork for granted. And B, it's after what happened last year. But um, uh, I mean, they are they are a top, a top top class side. And any team that has David Clifford on board. You know, you have to be considered as as uh, all Ireland contenders. I suppose the one concern they have is injuries, and particularly injuries to 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 the likes of David Clifford. What kind of team would the would they be all Ireland contenders if David Clifford wasn't playing? Possibly not. Whereas if Conor Callaghan wasn't playing for Dublin, you'd say that they would still be all Ireland favourites. So while they're not completely dependent on Clifford, uh, you know he is still their they're, they're big figure and um, they need him playing um, at top notch. Now they have defensive issues, as we know, and they probably have probably they haven't settled on, on a midfield pairing yet. I mean, based on what we've seen so far, David Moore is probably he's not mobile enough for Crow Park, um, so he's maybe a, a guy that you bring in in the last twenty minutes. So they have they have issues and they have issues at the back. I think Keane was probably. Happy enough that um, it was actually the defence played well. Now, admittedly, they didn't have much uh, resistance or 
they, they weren't put under huge pressure, but the defence did play well on, on Saturday. So maybe that, that's a work in progress, unlike the forward line. So, uh, I mean, in terms of the All-Ireland race, they're, they're up there. I think they're right up there with Dublin. Yeah, so Michael, if we're operating that Dublin and Kerry are a good bit ahead of the, of the pack, like what, what of the pack then? You know, you had Tyrone, who people were intrigued to see with a new management team, getting absolutely shredded at the weekend. Donegal taking on Dublin without Michael Murphy. They did look like they were missing their talisman, which I suppose is fair enough. Mayo, All-Ireland finalists last year, you know, getting promoted again. I'm sure we'll get David's opinion on that in just a minute. Like, is there anyone you're seeing or, or what do you make of some of these other challengers after their league campaigns? No, it does look like there's a fair gap with, from, uh, there's a bit of a gap even between one and two and then there's a fair gap from, from two to three and it's hard to even make sense of the, of the, of the pecking order. It's, you, you don't know really what you saw from, from Donegal at the weekend. Obviously, they were missing Murphy. They made a lot of late changes even before throwing and I think Oral McNeilish uh, nipped off with an injury and I think Stephen McManaman picked up an injury too. Uh, there are certain teams that could probably afford to be missing a couple of guys, you know, the Dublins of this world. There's a couple that probably can't and as Sean said, you know, Kerry can't afford any big injuries to Clifford or anybody anybody like that and Donegal definitely can't afford to be missing their, any of their key men, particularly the likes of Murphy. I think, I think at the other end of the scale and I know they're in a relegation uh semi-final but Armagh had a massive win against Roscommon uh, Roscommon team I know they've been yo-yoing up and down um, from Division 1 to Division 2 and incidentally I think the two Connacht titles they won were both from the, the Division 2 or they had been relegated I think the, those years but Armagh were brilliant the two O'Neills are very very good um, up front they, I think they hit 1-6 between them and in fairness to Kieran McGinney, uh he's brought Armagh from a pretty low base up to like I'd, I'd say they would have been um would have been one of the favourites, probably with Roscommon, to have been relegated from Division 1. So for them to stay up there is massive. Um, for Roscommon point of view, then, I think they lost Enda Smith as well and Rowan and Daly to injury. So uh, it's it's amazing, like, the proximity of league to championship. There's, like, if Roscommon are missing Enda Smith for championship, like, they're in, they're in awful trouble. They're in big trouble. But uh, I'd say probably... I, I don't know. It's hard to make sense make sense of the pecking order, really. But those two those two relegation games, Galway and Monaghan and Armagh Common, were two probably the of the better games of the weekend. And in fairness to Monaghan, they they just don't seem to know how to get out of Division One. They just are able to hold on by hook or crook. They've done it for the last couple of years. From a Galway point of view, then it kind of looked like that the wheels have come off a small bit. You'd, you'd, you could watch that game ten times, and you'd, you could just continue to wonder how Galway lost that game. So, again, they have to try and turn things around. They turned around the Kerry result in the league earlier on and, you know, a decent performance against Dublin and then obviously uh, beat Ross Common. And now they have to turn around, you know, a real, you know, sucker punch blow of going down to Division 2. So, you find it hard to see them being able to turn around for championship as well. But there's so much going on. <laughs> so yeah. much. Like, uh, the, football, the football last weekend was brilliant. It was a, it was a championship weekend, essentially. Hmm. It probably was the it probably was the most important weekend of the year for a lot of those counties, like because realistically, most of those counties have no chance. Uh, well, they've definitely no chance of, of winning the All Ireland, and, and probably a lot of them haven't a huge chance of winning provincials. So this was what the whole season revolved around. What happened last weekend? I suppose we we have to mention the two of the biggest losers was the the two reigning provincial champions, uh, Cavan and Tipperary, who who now will play in Division Four. Uh, next next year and Cavan in particularly have gone from Division One uh, to Division Four in, in just in successive in successive seasons. Uh, actually, all under Mickey Graham, who's also brought them a, 
an Ulster title and an Ulster final appearance. So their league form certainly doesn't match their championship form. And the other thing to remember about that is that that is huge ramifications for next year um, if the Talshan if the Talshan Cup comes in, because that means that uh, Cavan and Tipperary basically, unless the, I think the rule, well, it may be changed the rule, but as it stands at the moment, unless Cavan and Tipperary uh, get to their respective provincial finals in this is now in 2022. They won't be playing in the All Ireland qualifiers, which is a huge thing for particularly for the likes of Cavan, who with their traditional and everything. So it was a really uh, pretty horrific weekend for both of them, and you know it's hard to see them. Um, it's hard to see how they will bounce back in the championship, but then Cavan just to compound it all have to have to go to Oma for the quarterfinal of the Ulster Championship now uh, to Tyrone after what happened in the. Uh, Killarney probably the mood won't be great as well but uh, you know it's a huge match for for both of those counties as well yeah Ulster always so interesting to watch uh, David might get your opinion on the two the big two in Connacht uh, Mayo Mayo and Galway I mentioned Mayo they're obviously a lot of finalists last year getting promoted over the weekend and then in contrast Galway since football resumed after the first lockdown they've just nosedived and I suppose you could give maybe the benefit of the doubt last year they were coming back it was already fractured but now you know people have been you know Back, back for quite a while, I suppose, in, in some senses. Like, but what are your sense of those two teams heading into the championship? Yeah, and as you said, the top two, or maybe you look at it, it was a top three where it was coming in Division One, and all of a sudden now both of them are uh, are relegated, and it's just Mayo coming up from Division Two to Division One, and that, and it is a, it is, and and for me, and um, from a Mayo perspective, not having played the Tyrones, not having engaged themselves against the likes of the Dublins and Currys. Um, it is a, a negative going into the championship because you come you come to the white heated battle in uh, July, August, and you come up against these teams, and you just might say, "These were we're, we're off the pace." Um, I do think that from a male perspective, it has been positive. Um, I think the condensed league has helped them um, to say, "You know what? One, two, three games, and we're we're out of here." Uh, whereas you're not going on the road, and you're not you're not you're not playing six or seven games to try and qualify. Um, for me, the positive, the positive points from a Mayo perspective is that their key players, the Matthew Ruans, uh, Oshin Mullen has been absolutely outstanding. Um, it, 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 it's, it's the, that's the fulcrum. And these are the young guys. Again, Killian uh, remaining to the fore. I know his injury yesterday uh, on his 100th appearance for Mayo was, um, there's a question mark. It's, it's, it's not a niggle. I think it's a little bit more than that. But they just have to say, right, um, take the positives out of it. But the, the, the one little negative I would see out of it is that you can see two goals to Clare yesterday. You can see two goals to Westmead. You can see two goals to Mead. So you, you say, is it, a defensive, is it a defensive problem? Or when you have one seven coming from your backs, you're like, uh, Ushie Mullen scores yesterday. Uh, Bricken didn't score yesterday. Uh, Stephen, Sco- Stephen Cohn and you have Paddy Durkin scoring two points. So you have a lot of, they have to go forward to get these scores. But I think they, they might be from a uh, kind of a, a formation point of view, just letting themselves open a little bit. Uh, Darren O'Neill, the, 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 the midfielder for Clare, um, caused a lot of hassle yesterday, had a goal and could have had a goal six or seven minutes later, set up the next one. So like a big man that's that's plowing in the full forward line didn't, uh, it showed a, a kind of a, a weakness, but um, who's going to pick up the big man when you have very, Kind of a you haven't got a presence there in the full back line from a stature point of view or from a power point of view, um, but look at um, I'm just delighted they got out of Division Two because um, it's not the place you want to be. And again, 
from a from a perspective of momentum and crowds and playing the gig, the big the big teams. That's where Mayo want to be from a Galway perspective. Um, like I, I take it back and, and I take it back to the last nearly kick of the game. Um, Galway are up. Um, Monaghan are just looking for one thing and one thing only, um, a point. And again, they stood off them so defensively. If you go back to the to the to the goal to bring it to extra time, um, so Galway are up. All of a sudden, just in the parallel parallelogram, you have three Galway defenders versus three Monaghan defenders. You're going with a minute and a half to two minutes left. You're going. There should be at least three to one. There should have, from an experience point of view, or a setup, or from a tactical point of view, to say, guys, we're no good out in the 40, 30 yard line. If we're in that situation and we're we're two points up three points up and they're looking for a goal we have to have two defenders on every Monaghan player but they were left with a three on three so uh, and, and look at naivety as well uh, inexperienced counts for it you, uh, you don't let your man go inside and he just he just um, he just swiveled his goal with a defender and banged in the net and that brought it to extra time um, so there's a naivety there and again that comes from youth and inexperience but you have to have them little things uh, you have to have them little things sorted out, and uh, I, I just, I just, I can't put a finger on it. I think there was too much expectation of Galway um, from all from all quarters going into the last, as opposed to Porrick's Porrick's tenure, uh, and it hasn't it hasn't come to come to uh, bear fruit. And uh, it it really was um, they had that that game was done and dusted yesterday, um, and all of a sudden they found themselves now they're down back to Division Two next year. Yeah, Michael, it'll be interesting to see how teams like Galway and I think they even play Ross Common in the kind of championships So teams who've had suffered that kind of negative end of the league campaign, how they pick themselves up morale-wise because um, it's such a short turnaround. Even yesterday, like I, I saw Porrick Joyce on the TV, TV afterwards. I think he was with his family. He looked absolutely good. And I saw in Colin Keyes' piece saying that he didn't speak to the media afterwards, which would be unusual for him. So maybe I think it sounded like he was quite devastated. He didn't want to face the music. So it, it, it's for managers as well to pick themselves up because it's a very short turnaround if you don't want to go out in your first game. Ah, uh, yeah, you're not you're not going into like a traditionally a block of training now, you know, four or five weeks where and, and David, I'm sure, would have seen this in his own in his own playing career where you know it's like league is over, lads. We're starting championship training now. It's almost like back in the days, like all right, we're off the beer for five or six weeks and we're going training. Like that's not the case now. There's there's like they've been doing their blocks of training the whole way through the league, and it's just basically just kind of nearly resting up and trying to get as many bodies on the pitch now at this stage. So very, very short turnaround to get any work done and a short turnaround to actually uh, any little mental uh, frigidity or anything like that that's developed throughout the league. Very, very hard to get rid of that. So I'd say whatever um, whatever sports psychologists and that that these teams have, they'll be in overdrive over the next couple of weeks because it's such a short t- uh, turnaround, time to turn around. Just something interesting that David said there, I thought it was really interesting. He talked about the Mayo defence and you know, guys coming forward and scoring 1-7. And there's a lot of teams doing that. Kerry would have Paul Murphy and different guys driving forward. And I think the one team that if you were to accumulate what their defenders score um, would be probably a good bit less than most other teams is actually Dublin because their defenders tend to, they, yes, they get forward, don't get me wrong, but they defend first. And that's why they're so solid at the back. They're not trying to make up for any frailties at the other end of the pitch. They defend first. Like when was the last time Johnny Cooper scored? When was the last time Mick Fitzsimon scored? These guys uh, focus primarily on their defensive duties, and I think that's why they're so solid at the back. And that's why you know if 
uh, Tommy Walsh or whoever comes in full forward, he won't, won't cause the Dublin defence the same trouble that maybe a Darren O'Neill did yesterday. So I just think that's an interesting point that they, they can attack, but they focus you know, primarily on their defensive duties. Yeah, Jack McCaffrey, him stepping away, obviously a big part of that. And they seem to ha- be kind of instructed to find their shooters in possession as well. I don't, I don't know if they're allowed to shoot if, even if they wanted to. I, and Sean, one of the talking points coming out of the weekend, initially it was a great win for Kildare against their Leinster rival, kind of jockeying for position, maybe to be behind Dublin in that in that province. But then Andy McEntee after the game making a pretty serious allegation that a Kildare player spat on one of his players and that sparked off at a melee towards the end. There was a couple of red cards there. You know, it's kind of a, a strange way to finish the league campaign, isn't it? Yeah, it was quite ex- like it was. It was a funny kind of a game. I was I was listening to it. Uh, I was driving back from Kerry, and I was listening to it on the radio. And I mean, for for all during it, Kildare were were absolutely in control. And then the loss, it got down to fourteen men, and suddenly, um, uh, Mead found a sparkle for somewhere. And then the row was like it. It came out of nothing. So I, can, I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't comment on the spitting allegation, but it did spark out of nothing so you would suggest that, that there was something that um, hit it off now I assume it'll be investigated but uh, I mean it was a pretty it has been a pretty grim campaign uh, for me I mean that they would have um, they would have had ambitions of going straight back up like uh, like uh, Mayo did and, and they just I mean they nearly they nearly rescued it like typical of me they came back and, and they took a great save in the last minute from the Kildare goalkeeper uh, Mark Donlan to to stop the game going into extra time, but it was at a huge cost. Apart from losing, and obviously they will be playing in Division Two next year, but it was also at a big cost to me because the uh, apart from the two red cards, which were probably uh, unless they get them appealed, that that would mean the two guys, uh, Connor McGill and Brian Conlon, will be out for the the next day. But also got two two big serious injuries with um, uh, Brian. Uh, Brian Menton and uh, Donald Keoghan, who was the Keoghan, who probably has been their outstanding player for the last five years, and they look like maybe long-term injuries. So all in all, uh, it was a it, it was a, a high attrition game for me, who have a couple, well, they have a couple, they're not involved in the in the first round of the Leinster Championship, but so uh, you know it, they'll find it hard to pick it up. But on a, on a sort of a broader topic, I think Kildare are probably. The team best equipped to to um, challenge Dublin in the medium or long term. Now it won't happen this year or probably next year. But if you look back on it, uh, Kildare uh, have had more success at underage level than any other county in Leinster. And the the, the younger guys on the Kildare squad, the Jimmy Highlands and that, they would have played on minor and under twenty teams who beat Dublin. I mean, Kildare won the, the I think it was the inaugural under twenty All Ireland. So they have Jack O'Connor has assembled a, a, a decent squad there. Now, last year they had a disaster, like the, the ship five goals against um, Mead in the championship. <laughs> As somebody said, they didn't do it, they didn't have a good COVID. So um, I think they now, as I say, it won't happen this year, but in the next, watch out for them in the next two or three years. You know, the experience of playing in Division One is it'll be a huge boost to them. So I think if when, when and if, Dublin's reign uh, eventually ends in Leinster. It'll probably be Kildare might be the team that will that will uh, take their scalp. Yeah, and if we're talking about attrition, I think Kildare lost Paul Cribben, Jimmy Highland, and uh, Daniel Finn was carrying an injury as well. Oh yes, yeah. So it's, it, it was a it was a strange kind of a game for a league game that was it was like a, a full blooded championship match like with all these injuries. Uh, but I think that yeah, Michael would have probably haven't played with him a, a better view than me. But I think it's probably. 
uh, part of the problem is that either they're, they're trying to condense so much training into such a short space of time and also suddenly the pitches are very hard and I think that's probably the reason because if you look through all the teams uh, you know they all have they all have a lot of injuries at the moment and you know the, there's, there's no time to recover it's like this championship is, is in two weeks time or, or for most counties three or four so it'll, it'll be an interesting summer somebody said uh, yesterday it's whatever team can get the most fit players onto the field uh, for the key matches. That could be a factor as well. On that, guys, and Mike Mike mentioned it, it, it um, for me, I used to call it the old Jesus time of the year um, because, you know, the league was finished and you're going, oh, Jesus, this is, this is serious now. We're going to be going to four, six weeks of absolute torture. Uh, and again, uh, even talking to club managers across the country, uh, the number of players that are picking up niggles that are picking up slight injuries, and it's not knocks because they're not in the physical game stakes just right yet. But it's, it's the sedimentary thing of having no training or not being able to do these quick movements or, you know, uh, the, 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 the quick turning over the last six or seven months that all of a sudden your body is going here, hold on a second, I'm not used to this. I'm not, I'm not, this is not what you've been preparing me for the last six months. Maybe you've been doing your runs or your gym work, but, you know, that high intensity uh, it's what they're used of, but their body isn't used to it. And, and the amount of, of, of injuries um, is widespread across the whole the whole spectrum of GA, club and county. And it, it will be interesting um, to see who has the fittest team and who who picks up the least amount of injuries. Because it is, it is um, as you, like no matter what team you look at, there's a number of guys out that have had a very short season so far. And it's kind of get the balance right and people say, or backroom teams and strength and condition and physio and prehab and rehab teams, they're where they're going to earn their cross now because it's about getting the body at the right level at the right time, but not pushing them too much because uh, there is a big there is a big um, a big requirement going over the next couple of, of weeks. And again, it's about I suppose it's about timing it, engaging it, and having a probably an, a, a panel that's that's experienced enough and fit enough to. to to take one another's place if there is is the injuries or niggles that are someone's out for a week or two weeks. So there'll be a fair bit of bubble wrap going around over the next couple of weeks. It's there too because they just it, it's just it, like, to get injured in training now coming up to a match would be an absolute disaster. Whatever about picking up knocks and all these matches, so it's it's like a, a high wire act almost for a lot of the managers to get. You need to get time into into guys, and you need to get lots of training and games under their belt. But you can't push them over the edge, and you're kind of it's like a seesaw almost and balancing act. And there's no, you say, there's no getting away from the fact that like some teams can take more risks than others. Like Mayo can probably afford to keep Killian O'Connor on ice for a game or two. They're playing Sligo. If they win that, they play Leitrim. Like you know, without being disrespectful to those two teams, Mayo can probably afford to. That. Michael Murphy though is probably needed for Donegal. They they're away to down and then away to Derry if they win that. So it's interesting even and for Dublin, John Small probably isn't needed. You know, for a couple of weeks. So it, it really just kind of put a focus on how the draw has broken for certain teams in that regard as well. Yeah, well, it also that also highlights well. That's a long term issue. How unfair the provincial system is like on that. It illustrated the two the case you or the case you mentioned there um, is is a good case in point, you know, because Donegal uh, they have to play they have to play down Derry and then probably uh, Tyrone to even get to the Ulster final. Whereas I mean, realistically, uh, even though Kerry might be have some fear of Cork, it looks like Kerry, uh, Kerry and Dublin and certainly Dublin have nothing major to fear in Leinster, so they're basically guaranteed. Uh, all Ireland semi-final spots already whereas you know if the likes of Galway 
Mayo or any of the teams in Ulster took that for granted, but they'd be out in the first round. And I suppose the other thing, there's no back door this year, so it's it's like the old back to the old ways of the championship. Like their season could could uh, and will be for a lot of teams. It'll be over in in uh, it's hard to believe it'll be over in two weeks' time. Mm. And that's it. it was like that yesterday, guys. It was like championship, but there was no back door. You're, if you're one, you're 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 promoted. Or you know, it was it was it was not the division one title that was at stake as such, but everything else was up for play. If you lost, you were gone down. This one game was the game. It was a championship game. It was winner takes all. And uh, again, from a championship perspective, um, that's going to be massively interesting over the coming uh, weeks and months because uh, you know some of the big names are not going to be at the. The level they want to be, and there is going to be there is going to be surprises. And again, you're going, Jesus! How did Tipperary and Cavan win a a, a, a Munster and a, and an Ulster championship, and all of a sudden find themselves in uh, Division Four now? And you don't know who's going to come out come out of who's going to be this year's Cavan, who's going to be this year's Tipperary, because um, it is it is it's a different type of football. And um, no matter what people say, it's it's if there is the opportunity or the the, the second chance uh, or second bite of the apple. Um, in a championship perspective, it does take on a, a different a different demeanour. But when it's a winner takes all, it is it is what we us uh, I suppose myself and Sean are older generation. It's uh, it's it's an all or nothing knockout um, championship, and that that brings its own uh, its own positives to it. Yeah, Michael. With that being the case, it is interesting that Offaly have opted along with Derry to play that league final. And I take John Mon's point that you know a, a game in Crow Park for this young team, it's an experience of a lifetime. But then. You have to weigh that up. The championship game is the next is the next weekend. Like, what, from an awfully person, what do you think? Would it have been better off just to park it? You have your promotion and focus on that first championship game. Yeah, I was surprised by it to be honest with you. Um, as you say, like they are more than likely going to pick up a knock. Touch touch wood, they won't. But you're more than likely you are going to pick up a knock. It's an easier situation for Derry. They're obviously waiting. The winners are down in Donegal, so they've got a bit more time. So. Another competitive game probably suits them perfect, whereas awfully it could leave them hamstrung a bit going in against a loud side that obviously are promoted from Division 4 now as well and, you know, back moving pretty well. So, but the offset of that is, it was, and Sean said it earlier, for a lot of teams, league is going to be more important than championship. Are awfully going to get to play a championship in Crow Park this year? Very, very unlikely, bar they get to a Leinster final. Well, hopefully it'd be great if, if they did get to a Leinster final. But this is a glorious opportunity, I suppose, for them to play in Crow Park and for them to get some silverware. Getting promoted is one thing, but at the end of the year, if Offaly are Division 3 champions, um, that would be a massive, massive thing. To win a, to win a title in Crow Park would be huge. So it, it's kind of a, I suppose it's, it's a difficult kind of situation, but they probably see the the risk is probably what potentially worth the reward of actually playing in Crow Park and winning something. So, um, and yeah, it's it's great from our point of view that we're looking forward to a final. It's one thing being promoted, because potentially an offer you could have uh, two uh, two pieces of silverware in the space of a couple of weeks, which would be great. After all the doom and gloom and various rock bottoms that we've hit in recent years, it'd be great. Yeah. On, that, on that point, and I suppose from experience, guys, um, from John Mohan, um, I remember when he took us over in 96, we were in Division 3 from my own perspective. And the massive focus he had on, not but it was silverware, on success in Crow Park, on building momentum, on positivity, on the team morale and everything else. And uh, yeah, we went on and, and won Division Three that year. Ended up in our final uh, a couple of months later. And I think he's he's willing to take that risk and he's willing to take that gamble because you will 
if it doesn't work out in the championship or it doesn't work out the following week or whatever, or it comes back to bite him. Um, if you have success and you have that kind of, geez, we had some crack last year. We had some, you know, from an Offaly perspective, we had a win in Crow Park. We got silverware. We're in Division 2. There's a lot of big boys there. Um, that Whatever happens in the championship will maybe be soon forgotten, but it's a, I think it's a gamble worth, uh, worth taking from a, spe- from a very young team. And that experience in Crow Park and the possibility of winning silverware is, um, I think you just can't leave that off the table. Well, it was an exciting few weeks of Alliance Football League action. There's so much stuff still to come. David, for the moment, thanks so much for joining us. A pleasure. Look after yourselves. Well, it's time to turn our attention to Hurling now on the Throw-In Podcast in association with Alliance. We're delighted to welcome Brendan Cummins to the show. Brendan, how are you? Well, how's it going? All good? Well, outside of uh, Welsh Park yesterday, I suppose it's all good. <laughs> yeah, and I saw you were writing about that in your column today. I was reflecting back on the league as a whole. You know, going into the championship now, which team do you think is the happiest? Which team learned the most and is kind of set up the best, do you think, going in to the, to the big games to come? I think we always talk um, about momentum um, and I think Limerick probably are the ones who, who have built up a, a little bit of that. It, it looked like they decided they were going to get their, their act together against Cork and smother them. Obviously, the Westmead game was, was neither here nor there, but they'll be happy in that they know what they want to try to achieve. I think Tipperary and Watford then after that and Galway will be the ones who will be the, the other ones who will be extremely happy. Outside of Welsh Park yesterday, which Watford in fairness can be a little bit like Tipperary's kryptonite, if you like, in that when they start to run the ball through the middle, um, it caused Tipperary a huge amount of problems. So that'll give Liam Cahill huge amount of uh, hope, I suppose, and that his project is still on the on the rise and Liam Sheedy a little bit to work on. Um, so yeah, so those teams, I think, um, will have been extremely happy with the with the way the league has gone. And Kilkenny normally they just do what Kilkenny do, you know, they just work hard, they try to win every match. It doesn't appear like there's massive tactics going on. They play it as they see it, but at the same time, you know, they still had a very strong league campaign as well. Um, I think the ones who probably struggled the most were Dublin. They were the ones I was most disappointed with throughout the league. I'm waiting for a bit of madness in Dublin, a bit of craziness to come into them, and I'm not seeing it. Um, it's okay if you're going to be cool, calm and collected if it looks like you've a plan or a pattern to play but at the moment I can't I just can't see what they're trying to what they're trying to achieve they went with the sweeper before at least it was a plan um, whereas now I'm not too sure what they're what they're trying to do and that was probably the most disappointing part of the league for me was just seeing seeing the way Dublin have just kind of meandered along now maybe they may explode into the championship like they did a number of years ago but at the moment, um, it, it, they look like they're the ones who have been the, the biggest losers in the league, we'll say. Yeah, Michael, it's funny. It's you know we're sitting here after five rounds. It's probably the first time we've actually really talked about Dublin. And it kind of shows that they didn't really fire a shot against any of the big teams. It didn't really trouble them. You know, I think Brent, Brendan's probably hit the nail on the head. They probably of all the teams, they're probably sitting here. What have we really learned? Do we have any momentum now going into the big games? Yeah, they look a bit rudderless, and they've definitely um, slipped further away from the you know the probably big four or big five, I'd say. Um, and that game in Parnell Park a couple of years ago against Galway seems like an awful long time ago when they kind of brought... Brendan talks about that madness there. Like, they was kind of hellfire and brimstone that night in Parnell Park. And it just seems... That just seems like a long time ago. It doesn't look like you're going to get something similar out of the current Dublin outfit. Um, and, you know, the bluntness of their attack, if anything... Uh, they've nearly less it looks like they have less of an attacking threat even than they had a couple of years ago Donald Burke has obviously stepped up I think you know they hit 118 at the weekend I think 110 of it was from place balls you just wonder who's going to step up they're still experimenting with Crummy up there I know Liam Rush ended up moving up to the forwards the other day 
you'd wonder then are they are they settling on him at number six or who are you know moving him up? You'd wonder a few question marks there, but you you would question the direction that they're going in. Um, I cannot I cannot wait for the Antrim game. I think Antrim will smell a massive opportunity there. And if you look at how their one B campaign went, like. There's not too many people who have told you beforehand that they, that they get two wins and a draw and be very, very competitive against Clare and Kilkenny. So I think they'll smell a massive opportunity in that uh, Leinster quarterfinal. Yeah, and it's just looking just at the, at the top of the table, Sean, Kilkenny and Galway finished top of their respective division. So they could actually potentially play in the Leinster final. We might actually get a resolution to this league campaign. It's interesting when Brendan mentioned Kilkenny, you know, they, they wrapped their, their side of the draw up with a week to spare. They didn't really ever seem to have to get out of, you know, second gear because I suppose the, the way it was done up, the kind of one side was a bit stronger than the other. But still, Brian Cody brought them to, you know, a league, well, kind of half league champions. Well, as, as Brendan said, they're relentless. I mean, that's their DNA, and particularly Cody's DNA for the last 20 years. It's win, win, win. They, I mean, they treat a, a Walsh Cup match as important as, as an All-Ireland semi-final. So they have this winning culture and it's it's born out of hard work. I mean, you, you, I mean that's the basic requirement for any Kilkenny player. You have to work hard. Uh, and, and Cody uh, tends to pick his teams uh, based on relentless hard work on that warrior-like uh, qualities. It'll be interesting to see what to do in the championship because, as we know, there has been a bit of disquiet in, in, in uh, Kilkenny about, uh, well, there hasn't been opposition to Brian Cody's appointment, but, you know, for the first time ever, there's probably been some rumble, rumblings. Um, so they probably need, they probably need to, to win Leinster again, at least. So it'll be interesting to see how they will approach because we assume that they will be playing Wexford that we, uh, Wexford should uh, should be leash, even though Wexford aren't, haven't been going particularly well either. But it'll be interesting to see what tactics they employ against uh, against Wexford. I mean, in the league match, no, okay, uh, I'd say Wexford weren't that full till Saturday. Um, uh, it was interesting how Kilkenny played the ball through the lines. They didn't just uh, go along with all their puck outs. So that's a fascinating game, and it's probably will. It's a big game in terms of, of how the whole season pans out, even if there is a. A backdoor in a backdoor in hurling, which makes it a, it's a different type of championship than the football. But it's it is definitely a big year for uh, for Kilkenny. And uh, but I mean, uh, regardless of the the probably they obviously they don't have the same quality of players as they used to have available. But the, they are fighters, and that's, you're guaranteed that uh, Kilkenny won't give up until the final whistle blows. So that always makes them dangerous. Yeah, Brendan, like, how do you assess the Leinster Championship now off the back of this league? As I mentioned there, going to Kenny, if they were to play, there would be a league crown on the line as well as a Leinster uh, final medal. You know, Wexford kind of were hit and miss. They ended up finishing second, I think, in, in, in that side of the draw. We, we touched on Dublin there. Antrim potentially have an opportunity to cause a shock. Galway do look maybe the second best challengers overall. So there's, there's a lot of talking points there. There is, and I think if Galway are, are going to win the All-Ireland, they're going to have to win Leinster. Um, I think last year... In the down the home straight against Kilkenny, if it wasn't the scoreboard there, you'd say Galway are just better than Kilkenny. But the reality is they weren't better on the scoreboard, and then they brought that into the the home straight. Having said that, I suppose Mannion and Canning were out for that last ten minutes against Limerick in the semi final. But Galway do need silverware, and they are that kind of a team that if they do win Leinster and get their their tails up, and um, certainly it'll infuse them with a bit more confidence that they need. I think to. To win, I think they're one of the teams, Galway, that have a couple of more years maybe left in this crop of players. 
And it should dawn on him now that this is the time, like, you know, Joe Canning mightn't be as fit again going forward. You know what I mean? Mannion, these lads, so they do need to, to win. Kilkenny are obviously going to be the ones that can grind it out. But, um, but I certainly agree that the game between Antrim and Dublin is going to be massive. Because if Dublin lose that, they're in a relegation game. And they're only one game away from the trapdoor that brings you down into the Joe McDonough. Now, that's not a space that Dublin Hornham would want to be in. But Antrim and Dublin are in stark contrast to each other. Antrim know the way they want to play. They've had success. They've won silverware. They've played in Crow Park. They've, they've pretty much beaten anybody that they've that had been a chance of winning against, whereas Dublin are absolute polar opposites. So that game for me is the biggest game in the Leinster Championship. And after that, then I think Kilkenny and Galway will meet in the final because Wexford don't seem to have the same energy to play the running game that they've had in the last since 2019. I still think if they had a Caroline Corrid figure or somebody in there to get the heads right, to get rid of the scars of 19, um, you know, they, they might play with a bit more freedom, but they haven't reached those heights and you can't just do that in 10 minutes for the match to decide you're going to do it. So I think Galway will end up winning Leinster because they have to. And I still think Antrim will have enough to beat Dublin and that's going to cause chaos around the whole Dublin setup if that happens. Yeah, it's something to be an absolute cracker. Uh, Michael, I'd be interested to get your opinion on, on Clare. I suppose they started with two defeats, you know, narrow defeats to Antrim and Wexford. There was alarm bells going. They finished it out with three consecutive wins, including a very impressive one against Kilkenny. I suppose you could say that Kilkenny had wrapped it up a week earlier, so perhaps they weren't quite as, uh, you know, in tune as they might have been, but as Sean pointed out, that's rarely a problem with Kilkenny. So I think you have to give Clare some credit for that victory. And now all of a sudden they're going in with a lot more momentum than we would have thought, you know, two, three weeks ago. Yeah, in fairness, I think uh, I think Brendan wrote the day after they were beaten by Antrim how maybe like, that wasn't as much of a surprise as a lot of people thought it was. And it was the first day out for Clare as well. And they had John Condon at centre-back and they were learning on their feet a small bit. Uh, I think me, I was among many different people that said he should be moved back up full forward. In fairness, I, I, loved, uh, I loved the ignorance of Brian Lawn in many ways. He's persisted with it. Um, it's definitely definitely reaped some dividends as the league goes on. Looks like he's going to be playing centre-back now. If anything, their half-back line is one of their strongest lines now. With Dermot Ryan was brilliant. Again, he was relocated from, from half-forward as well. Um, if you put down, if you look at their, you know, a lot of their names on paper, and you're looking at, you know, Tony Kelly nominated for Hurler Deer last year, one of the best players in the, in the country. Aidan McCarthy's, you know, becoming a massive player for them. Cottle Malone, David Reedy, Shane O'Donnell, yeah, John Conlon, Connor Cleary, uh, Rory Hayes. Like, they have a lot of the good personnel. Now, fair enough, they mightn't have, you know, the same squad maybe as a Limerick or a Galway, but on a given day, they have a, they, you know, they have as, as good a personnel as anyone. And in Kelly, like, Tony Kelly's playing. Like he's been playing brilliant for the last five or six years and was obviously hurler of the year in 2013, but his game has gone to another level. It's almost a, a level of defiance uh, because everybody's saying that Claire are in trouble and different things, and he's kind of raised his game to another level. And like they'll they'll fancy their chances going in against Waterford. That's that's a that's a really intriguing game to me. That's as intriguing as the Cork Limerick game on the other side. And I think Claire have kind of turned the corner now and what, what do you want to learn from the league? You want to experiment, uh, try and have a fair idea of your best 15. And I'd say Brian Lowen has accomplished that. He's a fair idea of his best 15. And, you know, contrast how they finished the league to how they started it. And now they're in a good position going into the championship. And with the, with the injuries down in Waterford yesterday, I think they'll, no more than Antrim against Dublin, they'll, they'll sniff a good upset there as well. And that's going to be an intriguing game. 
Yeah, and in terms of the injury suffered by Austin Gleeson, I suppose we're still waiting to hear the, how long he might be out for, but the picture certainly looked like he was in quite a lot of pain when he was being taken off, so that's definitely one to look out for, just like in the football, as we touched on earlier, a lot of teams nursing some injuries to key men. Sean, another interesting team, just looking at the league table, how it all shook up in the end, is Cork. They scored 18 goals across five matches. At some stages, we were talking, are they any team to beat going into the championship? They ultimately came second last. Like I know there's some head-to-heads and there was a few draws in there. But you would have thought they would be up at the top end of the table. They have that big game against Limerick to come. Like, How do you assess where they are at the moment? Yeah, well, we're talking about momentum there. They certainly have lost this, uh, I mean... It's hard to judge what the, the Limerick match was about because they, they obviously neither team were, were were willing to show their hand. But Limerick, uh, you know, attacked the Cork puck at the short Cork puck out and, and with devastating effect in the first half. Uh, and then yesterday, for most of the match, it looked like um, Cork were going to bounce back and, and they were playing very well. And then suddenly, the the basically, well, it was almost a mini collapse in the last 15 minutes. I know there was a few tactical changes. Menu went up centre forward and made a huge difference. So you'd wonder, you know, you'd wonder about, you know, where their headspace is because obviously since the draw was made, everybody knew that the season would would revolve probably against how our, their season would revolve how they fared against uh, Limerick. But I'm sure there are doubts even in the players' minds now as to, you know, uh, are they are they ready for the the challenge of taking on the the All Ireland champions? Now, I think we'll see a, a different Cork uh, performance that day than than we did in the league. But uh, they have basically all their eggs in one basket. Now they're going. I think they're going to go with the short game, and and hope that the the speed and pace they have in the team will open up defenses and score goals. But uh, I think there would be there would be question marks about uh, you know is that the, is that the right way to go and if particularly if teams close them down, will they be able to... Uh, have they got a, a viable plan B is, I think, a key question for them. And think, yeah. They don't have a great record in the... They don't have a great record in the back door either. I think the last time they made progress was 2013. So, uh, yeah, the, the Limerick match obviously will tell the tale. Now, they have, they have a deep... They, have, they beat Limerick before when Limerick were All-Ireland champions. So, but I think... Um, Limerick will still be uh, strong favourites in that match, so it, it 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 could be the back door for them, and we'll see how they get out of that. I think crucially, when when Cork looked well during the league, they not not the teams were like letting them play on purpose, but they were there was a degree of uh, openness to that Waterford game. Uh, there was very little physical contact, we'll say, involved in it. To contrast that with the Limerick game, when Limerick got in their faces and just did, you know did not allow them have an easy ball, didn't allow them play out from defence or anything like that yesterday. Um, and when Galway really got into their stride in the second half yesterday, what did they do? They took on Mark Coleman. They made you know some of these guys actually defend. They made them go man on man and probably exposed them a small bit. So you just wonder when when Carr come up against Limerick, like for all their playing around and as slick as they are on the ball, like when, when it comes to the Waiheat Championship and it's man on man a lot of the time, you know, physically, I wonder, will Galway be able to stand up to, to Limerick? I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I think they will create an awful lot. Uh, they create a lot of goal chances in particular and they did it against Limerick the last day. But just not so sure physically. Like if you, if you, if you were to compare Limerick, uh, Galway, Kilkenny, even Waterford, to Cork, I would say that most of those teams are a bit more physically uh, advanced than Cork. Now, in fairness, people would say that Cork should go along, which in many ways is ridiculous because they're playing to what they have. Like they have small, nippy players that who are real good ball players. So of course they're going to play that style. If they had, 
you know, big a couple of big six foot two forwards that can win their own ball, then they're going to play ball, more ball down there. So they're only Kieran Kingston. In fairness, is only you know he's cutting his cloth to measure, but I'm just not sure physically if they'll be able to match Limerick when it really comes to the cut and trust of it. And Brendan, what about your own county Tipperary? I know you were talking about them today in your column in the Irish Independent as well. Just like looking even at the fixture list, they're not back out until July 4th. Uh, they played the winners of Waterford and Clare. So they have a bit of time now to reassess, to regroup, to maybe get a bit of training in if that's what they need or to take the foot off the pedal if that's what they need. Like, What, what are your thoughts on how they're going? Uh, I think they're going well. Um, I think the problem for Tip, and it's been the problem, I suppose, since highlighted by Wexford running through Tip in 2019, and I know the players are, are essentially getting any younger around the middle third of the pitch. Teams will always feel they have a chance when they run a Tip. And you could see with Watford the weekend, they just kept trying to run it, run it, run it. And eventually, when they gave up the puck out to Tipperary, Tip aren't overly comfortable with trying to run it out from Cahill Barrett or the cornerbacks or full-back line out. I think teams have decided now that when Tip get the ball between their own 45 and 21, they're going to leave him hit it because they know that they're going to go along. They're going to try to find Callan into the corners. And I think if Tip are to do anything, the ball will need to go deep in around the penalty area and let the lads stick work. Like what we'd have seen in Kilkenny with Henry Shefton and Eddie Brennan back in the good old days. I don't think while Hurland has gone all around, the, all around the place about tactics and all that, I think the ball goes into the danger area often enough. Um, then that you're going to have a, an opportunity with the class hurlers that are in there. You take yesterday, like Jason Ford, the, the Watford won the one possession and Tip Stickworth took it off him. And once they get inside, it's just a goal and that's the end of it. And two or three of those opportunities will be enough for Tip to maybe score 320 and that will be enough to get him uh, over the line. But they still have, I think, um, just try to get leg around the middle of the field. I, yesterday, Breen and uh, and uh, Dan McCormack didn't really work because the middle of the field, Cadell was kind of overrun. But I do like Michael Breen and Dan McCormack in the wings. They give that extra bit of protection coming back and they have good energy. Um, but no, Tip, I think overall, uh, we'll be very, very happy where they're at. Certainly way, way better than we were um, when we came back in, in 20 trying to defend uh, the All-Ireland after the long COVID break. So Liam will be happy now, I think, with what he's seen. A few of the younger lads have, have stepped up a bit as well, which which will help. Yeah, Sean, what do you make of Tipperary? Obviously, as Brendan mentioned, they're, they're All-Ireland defence in 2020 after, you know, with a COVID-disrupted year. Didn't really, you know, catch fire. They lost to Limerick, you know, by a, a fair amount in Porky Keeve and then were eliminated by Galway. Do you think they're better set this year to maybe have a crack at it? Yeah, well, I think... I think there might, there might be one of these teams that have a historical baggage about defending all Ireland titles. I mean, it's it's uh, it's said every year they haven't def- defended it successfully since uh, whatever nineteen sixty, you know, the mid sixties and all. So I think uh, when that ba- baggage is removed, to play with a bit of, with a bit more freedom, uh, and I think yes, as Brendan said, I think Liam Sheedy will be will be happy enough with with what with uh, how the league went. I don't think it was ever a big priority to to finish top of it so um they're in a good place to, i mean it's a monster championship is it's literally a bit like the ulster football anything can happen on the day but um, they're in they're in rude health and i think they uh, actually they have a very good management team and i think um uh, they're probably dark horses i mean they're not being talked up to the same level as limerick so and they will be quite happy with that i think they uh, you know psychologically i think they're better uh, and they're more likely to do something when they're uh, when they're underdogs. Yeah, Michael, as we kind of you know reflect on the league as we move towards the championship, it's funny. This is probably one of the first weeks we haven't been having a big conversation about the future of the sport. We're kind of just focusing really on the results and, and how teams are shaping up. Has has any kind of fears you had maybe around you know the amount of freeze being given and stuff like that? Has that died down a little? Do you think? 
Yeah, I don't know uh, what conversations have happened behind the scenes, but referees have definitely, the, the advantage rule, from what I saw yesterday down in Walsh Park, the referees were going back to the old advantage rule. Um, there was a couple of scores uh, got that, you know, they were fouled and they were let go and the shot was taken and went over the bar and game was the game was able to, you know, progress as normal rather than, you know, the second the player was fouled, um, he never got a chance to get away and take a shot and it was a free and the momentum was stopped. So I don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but it definitely looks like uh, it definitely looks like we're kind of back to normality in that sense. It's happened a few times with the league in hurling in recent years, where it was a big overreaction the first week or the second week, and then things settled down by the by the fourth or fifth week. I will say that this, like, and I wasn't the biggest fan of it coming in, but the the sin bin and the you know the the new penalty kind of area has definitely re- reduced. Like, I don't think we've not really been talking about cynical fouls, any of them um, that have happened, there's been a penalty and in most cases a goal and a sin bin and it's such a big punishment that teams just, nobody just even risks it anymore and it does place a bit more uh, quality in the art of defending. I suppose the other thing then as well, the high scoring games, you have to remember like it's height of summer now, like it's perfect, like peak perfect conditions for hurling at the moment Um, and even uh, with, with goalkeepers and I know there's a couple of um, there's a couple of people a couple of hundred people back at matches now but the time from when the ball goes wide to the ball being restarted is, is a couple of seconds quicker than it was with the water break you know each half is nearly 40 minutes so you're looking at 80 minutes nearly in a game now the scoreline is the scores are bound to go up a small but I don't think it's any one factor be it the weight of the ball or any of these things, these things. it's just a number of factors um, I thought we had a brilliant weekend to be honest with you I thought that was a real entertaining game in Walsh Park uh, couldn't let the, the, the show go by without talking about Desi Hutchinson's two goals the, the first goal was ridiculous uh, Jack Prendergast who was brilliant sort of threw, threw a hand pass to him and he just like a, a volley that you'd see a, a drive volley that you'd see at Wimbledon or at the French Open over the weekend a brilliant finish then uh, a real kind of instinctive forwards goal for the next goal where he turned inside and got a great goal. There's some brilliant scores over the weekend. And just on Waterford, um, there's a Shane Bennett's back in the attack now. And there's a real, you know, there's a, I suppose there should be given that they're brothers, but there's a telepathic kind of nature almost between him and Stephen. And even Kieran Bennett, uh, Stephen set him up for a goal at one stage yesterday, even though he mishandled it. There's just a couple of things happening that are really exciting in that kind of Waterford attack. And uh, I think we're primed for, you know, a really good championship. Like when you're really looking forward to, you know, uh, Leinster quarter-final with Dublin and Antrim. That's a really exciting game. You're really looking forward to Waterford and Clare and you're really looking forward to Cork and Limerick. I think we're primed for a really good championship and I think, any, you know, most of the fears that we had about Hurling have kind of been allayed at this stage. And that's been the case the last couple of years. Naturally, things just settle down and we kind of, we've generally, we've got the game that we want now. Yeah. The other interesting thing about it, and this probably applies to football as well, is how the the water break is impacting on, on particularly on tactics. I mean, it's basically now you're talking about four. It's four has really. I know you only get whatever ninety seconds or something for the water break, but it is enough to. Uh, and if you, it'll be interesting exercise to follow all the matches. It is enough to break a team's momentum and to to get um, you know for it's enough time for managers to reset or to make a few little tactical changes. So it is a it is a new factor that has kind of come into the game in the last. Well, since uh, since COVID, since last year, and obviously uh, managers are getting more used to it now, so they're ready for it. So I think we'll see more games of uh, four quarters now with momentum changing um, after the water break. 
Just a quick one on that, Brendan. I know you were involved with Kerry the last couple of years, and particularly last year with the water break. Like, did you? What would without giving away any state secrets? What would have been your mantra for the water break? Like, is it like twenty seconds of water, forty seconds of instruction, or what way do you kind of work it? Because it is such an important time. Well, it is. Well, they can listen while they're drinking anyway is the first thing. Uh, and after that then, um, yeah, like you get your, we the done was, I suppose, I'd have gotten the stats down to see where we're winning or losing, what areas of pitch we're struggling, get maybe 10, 15 seconds of feedback from the players, backs, forwards, you happy, what's going on. You'll hear it then in a flash, we're confused, who's marking this lad, who's marking that lad. And then you really have only a minute to say, right, this is what half forward line might be might not be coming far enough back to pitch. That's normally the problem when things are going wrong. So you're always looking at your half forward and are you working hard enough? You might ask the three of them just to come back and support the half back line more, which means you can run the ball back up the pitch, which normally kills momentum of a team. If a team gets on top of you, normally what you'll find is that your half forward line are all over the pitch. Right? So that water break is fantastic. And that's why Sean, I think you'll see that momentum is broken because everyone gets back into their set channels again. And you reset because you're out in the middle of the pitch in the heat that's going to be there. You end up making a run back into your own full back line, for example, if you're a wing forward. It could take you a minute and a half to two minutes to get back out the pitch again. Whereas at the start after the water break, everybody's set on the start line again, we'll say. And then that kills momentum and everyone gets to find their feet. But I think you have that minute and a half to get that set up right. For me, that's the key in every water break we've ever had is what are the three half forwards doing? And if you have them right, then everything else flows, I think, from there. And do you think, will it, will it stay now? Like, will there be a sort of a push-on? Well, this is just in both early on football. Will there be a push-on now, sort of post-COVID, to, to keep it? Um, I think there, I think management teams would want to keep it. Um, I certainly loved uh, the fact that you, you had contact with the players after every 18 minutes and then another 15 later, you had a longer break, you know what I mean? But I think as a, a general for the spectacle, I think is we'd probably be living with COVID for the rest of our lives, so it'd be a great excuse to keep it. But I think the general public would rather see the game flow from start to finish and have that momentum. And when someone gets you out of off balance, we'll say that um, they'll still take off a helmet and they'll still lie down like somebody's leg is broken. They'll still get a minute and a half or two minutes to break the place. So the dark arts will be back in full swing again. But I think the four quarters will probably stay in the long term. There was various stages, Brendan, when the contact lenses just hopped out of your eyes at different stages when uh, you might be able to concede in a goal and things. Yeah, yeah, it is. I said it one day doing a co-commentary with Nicky Quaid that he had a contact lens. I don't even think he wears contacts, but anyway, that's another day's work. So that's important. Hey, look at your lads. Look, we, we tried to make the, clay, the game very clinical and clean with the tackle and all that. If you look at the rule book, right, the paragraph of the rule book in hurling around the tackle is about that size. The tackle was defined in football about two years ago, I think, and the paragraph is that size. So I think at the end of the year, we'd all do well probably to set up a committee, look at the tackle in hurling and nail it. Because when you start introducing rules in hurling, like we saw at the start of the year, and make it like this thing that's very, that, you know, there's black and white, we have absolute chaos and everyone gets confused. So I think you're right, Michael, in that referees have applied common sense and our game is just getting better and better because of it. And I pray to God that they keep doing that from the championship now in a couple of weeks' time because we're in for some summer, that's a fact now. Yeah, well, it's great to be finishing our Alliance League coverage on a positive note. We'll be back next week looking ahead to the football and hurling championships. In the meantime, you can subscribe to the Throw On Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Alliance.
supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues.